1: and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror thank you for listening and enjoy the show it's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark chilling tales for dark nights listener, you're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about eerie escapes and dastardly delusions. I'm your host, Steve Taylor. And tonight, I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Absinthe Rose and Irving Crane, our voice talents, Pendleton Arkwright and John Rogers. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. (laughs) Our first tale tonight was written by Absinthe Rose and is performed by Pendleton Arkwright. In it, we'll meet Gavin who comes face to face with an oft-repeated truth that appearances can often be deceiving. Will he realize the true nature of his predicament before it's too late? Only time will tell. Without further ado, I present to you, Clean Getaway.
2: Gavin ran through the sliding glass doors of Covington General's ER. Immediately slowing to a walk as the hefty nurse with thick glasses glared at him over the top of old red frames and snapped, No running! Sorry. He apologized with a careless shrug, just trying to get upstairs before visiting hours are over. The nurse glanced at the wire-covered clock over her left shoulder, then back to Gavin with one raised eyebrow. You have seven minutes. Her voice was full of doubt. Guess I better hurry then. He nodded and hurried around the corner towards the hall that would lead to the ground floor elevator bank. Once out of sight of the grumpy nurse, he slowed his pace again and sighed with relief, grateful to see the hall empty. He wasn't really here to visit anyone. It was just the first excuse that popped into his head. He hadn't thought about the possibility of running into anyone, all that had really been on his mind when he burst in was getting away from the scene of the crime as quickly as possible. Gavin reached the elevators and was greeted by an impossibly old man with strange reddish-brown eyes, sitting in what looked to be an antique wheelchair against the far wall. "'Good evening,' the old man greeted, his voice surprisingly strong and deep despite his frail appearance. Hi, Gavin nodded curtly, reaching out to the elevator farthest from what he assumed was a patient from the elderly or psych ward and smashing the call button three times in quick succession. What brings you here? The old man inquired, turning and wheeling his chair closer to Gavin. The chair squeaked irritatingly, its high-pitched creaks worse than nails on a chalkboard. Visiting a friend, Gavin lied again uncomfortable with the closeness of the old man and eager for the elevator to arrive really the tone of his voice and the single raised eyebrow suggested he did not believe him yeah really Gavin snapped angry that this stranger this nobody this ancient waste of skin had the nerve to question his motives for being here if he knew who he was talking to he wouldn't dare to speak to him in such a way If he knew the danger he was in just by being in his presence, he would be cowering in the corner with his rickety wheelchair begging for his life. But instead he continued to speak. It's too late, the old man winked. They won't let you up there. Gavin took a step back, unnerved by the man but not sure why. It wasn't like the bag of bones could stop him. I think I'll give it a try anyway. He retorted. Suit yourself. He shrugged, his strange eyes twinkling. But won't do you no good. Look here, Gavin shouted. Don, the old man interrupted. What? My apologies. I forgot to introduce myself. He extended his right hand. My name is... He paused for a moment and Gavin wasn't sure if it was for a dramatic flair or if he was considering whether or not to reveal his full name, age, and address as part of his belated introduction. Don, He finished with a small tilt of his head, as if there were more he had to say, but decided it could wait. Gavin was caught off guard. He'd been prepared to rip the guy a new one just a moment ago, and now he found himself taking the offered hand and shuddering slightly at the excessive warmth and two long fingers that wrapped around the back of his hand. Gavin, he said, pulling his hand away and wiping the sweat that had formed in his palm on his pants. A pleasure, Don cooed, his voice seemed to have dropped an octave. Yeah, Gavin grunted uncomfortably, taking a step back once again. He couldn't wait to be away from the strange old coot. Gavin was gratefully interrupted by the chime announcing the elevator's arrival and was inside, pressing the closed door button before they had opened fully. He didn't want Don following him, but Don was still in his old chair, his long fingers fanned out and descending to his palm, pinky to pointer in a slow wave. Gavin glared at the old man as the door slid close, and felt a ripple of unease spread through his stomach as Don smiled back his lips spreading unnaturally wide. Finally alone, Gavin considered defying the nurse and Don and heading upstairs anyway. But there was really no reason for him to be up there. He really did just need to lay low for a while. No sense risking an encounter with an overzealous security guard looking to make a name for himself. No, it would benefit him much more to stick to his original plan and go hide out in the underground parking garage find a dark corner, far from any vehicles, and wait out any commotion caused by his earlier exploits. In the morning he'd seek out a car, one that was still warm, meaning the owner had just arrived and would not be coming back anytime soon. Then by the time they realized it was missing and called the police, Gavin would already be long gone and have ditched the car. Gavin pressed the button that would send the elevator down to the parking garage and sighed heavily, He could almost relax now. He knew most elevators had surveillance cameras, so he couldn't pull out the wallet he'd stolen and see how much he scored, but he was guessing. By the fight she put up, it must be a lot. And that was good. Gavin didn't mind stealing. It was how he got most things he wanted. But he hadn't used cash in almost a week, and it was never good to push your luck when it came to shoplifting. Better to give it a rest for a few days. The elevator performed its stomach-dropping stop. The door slid open and Gavin stepped into the parking garage. As the doors closed behind him, taking its light with it, he noticed just how dark the garage was. There were only a handful of lights scattered throughout the space, leaving large dark stretches of inky black shadow, plenty of places for him to hide out for the night. Perfect. Heading for the nearest patch of shadow, Gavin planned to follow the wall for a bit put some distance between himself, the elevator, and the cars of anyone who might be leaving during the night. It was then, as he made his way through the dark, his eyes having quickly adjusted to the lack of light, that he noticed something odd. There was not a single car in sight. Usually, people parked close to the elevator first in order to avoid a long walk, and people like himself who waited around to prey on those walking alone but there wasn't a single vehicle to be seen. In fact, now that he was looking, there were no parking lines either, no handicapped spots, no no parking areas, not even a single school bus yellow metal post to prevent passage beyond certain points. He frowned, not sure why the condition of the parking garage made the hairs on his arms prickle, but it didn't matter, not really. He was alone finally, and that was all he cared about. Gavin stopped walking, chose a dark corner, and pressed his back against the cold concrete wall, sliding down into a cross-legged position. For all he knew, the garage was still under construction, or being repaired, nothing more. Relaxing, he leaned his head back against the wall, and hissed as a bolt of pain flashed through his head, and reminded him of the sharp blow the woman had delivered during their struggle. Gavin reached back tenderly exploring the raised lump and felt gobs of sticky, drying blood. Hag, he muttered to himself. Then remembering that he had her wallet, he grinned. Lot of good it did ya. Gavin reached into the waist of his jeans where he'd tucked the long blue wallet as he watched the middle-aged woman weakly attempting to remove the switchblade from her gut. Eagerly, he snapped it open only to have his stomach clench in disappointment. The credit card slots were empty except for a single club member's card to the local grocery store and her driver's license. The cash slot held three $1 bills and a recipe for chicken parmesan, and the coin pocket on the backside held exactly 78 cents, and a small silver rosary. Gavin could barely contain his rage. His head throbbed angrily as his pulse quickened with fury. This is what she fought so hard for. This is what she risked her life for. He had only planned to rob her, but then she hit him, struggled mightily against his aggression, and ignored his demands. He knew she had to be silenced before he got caught. She never saw the blade coming as he slipped it out of his pocket and into her abdomen. He had her wallet before she hit the ground. He almost felt bad. She was a decent-looking woman and she had strangely forgiven him as he pulled the blade out, wiped it on her dress, and put it back in his pocket. Now, looking down at the meager contents of the stolen wallet, he wished he'd stuck around to watch her die. See if she still forgave him, as the last of her life bled out. Incensed by it all, Gavin picked up the rosary and tore it to pieces, sending tiny silver beads flying everywhere, followed by the crucifix which he chucked as far as he could. It did not make him feel better, he was still broke, and now he had to hide out and spend the rest of the night reliving his epic failure. Snatching up the paltry amount of cash and stuffing it in his pocket alongside his knife, Gavin threw the wallet as well. He didn't care if anyone found it, or that his fingerprints were all over it. He knew he had a list of warrants a mile long, but no one had ever been able to serve him. A few more charges was nothing. Besides, it's not like he was going to get caught. He never got caught. Fury temporarily spent, Gavin decided to get some sleep. Hopefully when he woke it would be morning and he could get out of here. He took out his knife, flipped the blade out, and slid it beneath his leg as he stretched out on the cold floor. If anyone stumbled upon him while he slept, they would wish they hadn't. Gavin wasn't sure what woke him for how long he'd been asleep, but he knew he needed to get up. Something was off. In a matter of seconds he was crouched, knife extended in front of him, head cocked, listening as he waited for his eyes to adjust to the lighting. But they didn't. Either he wasn't awake enough for them to clear completely, or it had gotten darker since he'd fallen asleep. As he stood, he realized it was the latter, for although he could see a few feet in front of him, Beyond that was nothing but darkness. Not even a hint of one of the ceiling lights shone in the distance. Had someone turned off the lights? Why would they do that? Had they discovered he was down here? How? Dawn. The old man's wrinkled face and strange brown eyes filled his mind. Bastard must have gone straight to the nurse after he'd gotten on the elevator. How could he have been so stupid? He should have dragged the decrepit fool into the elevator with him. Then he could have disposed of him and had nothing to worry about till morning. Sighing in frustration at his terrible luck and lack of foresight, he silently began moving. If he was lucky, he wouldn't encounter any cops or security guards that may be looking for him, and could make his way to the ramp that led up and out. Reaching his free hand out, he decided it was better to use the wall as a guide than to wander blindly into the darkness. He was so focused on listening for any signs as someone was nearby that he didn't notice right away that the wall he was running his hand along was not concrete. He paused and explored the surface with his fingertips. It was rough, jagged, and warm, not at all like the wall he'd fallen asleep against. And when he placed his hand flat against the unidentifiable material, he felt a dull throb beneath his palm. Gavin yanked his hand away and wiped it on his pant leg to get rid of the peculiar sensation before leaning in close to look at the wall. It was darker than concrete and appeared to have thick strands of thread or hair protruding from its surface. What the hell? His examination was interrupted by a shuffling sound behind him and he quickly spun away from the wall. He couldn't see anything but it continued to grow louder and closer until Gavin was certain he should be seeing the source by now. "'Who's there?' he called out, hating himself for the slight tremor in his voice, but too on edge to care. The shuffling resumed and Gavin backed up, running into the wall, but he hurriedly jumped away from it when he felt a few of the hairs brush across his arm. Deciding his best bet was to confront whoever was there, Gavin rushed forward, knife held out before him, But as soon as he got to where he thought the person should be, the sound stopped. He looked around in confusion. He was sure this was where it had come from, but he didn't see a thing. Not even the wall he had just stepped away from. What the hell was going on? He didn't care. All he cared about now was getting out. He'd had nothing but bad luck since coming across the woman he'd killed. He needed to get out. Get to the wolf's den, kick back a few stiff drinks, and take any woman drunk enough to go home with him to bed. Then everything would be back on track. Just the thought of liquor burning its way down his throat and warming his belly got him into motion. He'd be out of there in no time. Holding tight to his switchblade, he lowered his arm to his side and he began to walk. He wasn't sure where he was headed, but he knew eventually he'd run into something that would give him an idea of which way to go. Gavin lost all sense of time as he walked. He knew it was partly due to the slow pace he was keeping, since his eyes still had not adjusted to the darkness, but still it seemed as though he should have found something by now. As he thought this, his eyes finally beheld a sight other than blackness, though it wasn't what he expected to see in a parking garage. Fog, thick and ghostly white, appeared in the distance, rolling and tumbling over itself, like waves racing to reach the shoreline. It surged forward and spread out as if it had a purpose, as if it were seeking something, seeking him. Gavin didn't know why he thought this, but he felt absolutely certain it was true. Everything in him told him to run, to not let it touch him, but he stood as ground. Fog didn't just develop spontaneously wherever it felt like, especially not in the buildings. It had to have come from outside which meant that if he stayed in the direction he was facing the direction it appeared out of and walked into it that it would have to lead to the surface in fact he must be close already the parking garage wasn't that big it was a great idea excited and commending himself on his brilliance gavin rushed to meet the fog gasping in shock as they connected there was no light chill of hovering moisture as he broke its surface No barely perceptible resistance as it swirled around his legs and kissed his bare flesh. The moment he came in contact with the fog, it was as if he'd been enveloped by a superheated steam. He looked down, expecting to see his skin boiling off, his clothes catching fire, and the rubber of his sneakers melting to the floor. Instead, he saw the white fog change to a sickly yellow, then orange, red, and finally black. With each change, the intensity of the heat increased until Gavin could not draw a breath, scream, or comprehend anything beyond the pain. The heat slithered into every crease, pore, and orifice, melting his organs and turning his bones to dust. His skin cracked, split, and peeled away as his hair hissed and fizzled to nothing. His eyes burst in their sockets, and he was vaguely aware of the vitreous running down his ruined cheeks then, suddenly, as it began, it was over, and Gavin found himself on his hands and knees pulling in huge gulps of air. The fog still surrounded him, but it was once again white and cool, and felt glorious against his strangely unmarred skin. What is going on, he wondered, as his breathing and heart rate slowly returned to normal. Am I going crazy? He didn't feel crazy, although admittedly he didn't know what crazy actually felt like. He was still pretty sure he was sane. Am I dreaming, perhaps? Though he didn't think that was likely either, he would have woken by now. Shaking his head in confusion, Gavin picked his switchblade up from where he dropped it and stood up, realizing as he did that he'd become completely disoriented. He had no idea which way to go now. Ah! He screamed in frustration. His scream was answered. Gavin... Someone whispered his name loudly. He spun, looking for the source of the voice. Gavin. It came again, still a whisper, but the pitch was different. Gavin. And another. Who are you? Gavin shouted, turning slowly around, scanning the fog, but unable to pinpoint the source. Gavin. 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 It sounded as if a hundred different people were whispering his name now, over and over until it no longer sounded like his name, but a swarm of angry flies closing in on him. What? He shrieked. All at once the whispering stopped, and for a moment Gavin thought he'd gone deaf, but then they answered his question in unison. Run. At that, the fog was drawn together behind him and disappeared, like the flame of a candle that had been blown out. He was once again standing in the darkened garage, but this time he was not alone. Now he could see outlines in the distance, hovering at the edges of the darkest pools of shadow, waiting. It was with a nauseating sense of dread that Gavin realized, not all of them were human. He hesitated only a moment before doing what the voices had commanded, and ran. The moment he began to move, so did the shadows, and they were fast. They hissed, groaned, wailed, and snarled, a cacophony of hatred and hunger chasing him. He knew without a doubt there was nothing they wanted more than to tear him apart and devour him. He was not going to let that happen, but he could feel them reaching for him. They were so close, a few managed to touch him, to tear his shirt and his skin. A dozen rivulets of blood flowed freely across his arms and back. He pushed himself harder, doing his best not to look back at them. He wasn't sure he could keep going if he saw what was after him. Gavin focused his gaze straight ahead, willing the exit or any means of escape to appear. And To his astonishment, it seemed to work. Miraculously, just a few dozen yards away was the elevator, its single fluorescent light signaling him like a beacon. Inside the elevator was Don, the weird old man sat in his wheelchair, grinning that same stupid grin he'd had when Gavin first left him, and he was holding the elevator door open. Don, Gavin called, never so happy to see someone in his entire life. Don, wait for me. He was so close, just a few more yards, just a minute more. That was when Gavin did the most cliché horror movie fail of all time. He tripped and crashed hard to the ground. He was a goner, he thought as he hurried to right himself, but instead of taking advantage of Gavin's mishap and pouncing upon him, the shadows stopped. He glanced slowly over his shoulder. They were still there, whispering agitatedly, but not moving. Confidence boosted, Gavin put his hand down to push himself up and laughed out loud when he saw the small silver crucifix he had thrown away earlier. Thinking now that it would make a funny souvenir, he picked it up, and immediately the woman's dying words filled his ears. I forgive you. The garage started to grow dark once again, and Gavin saw that dawn had let go of the elevator doors. I don't need your forgiveness, he snapped throwing the crucifix once again, failing to notice that the shadows parted around the small object as it flew past them. Panicking, Gavin darted towards the elevator. Wait for me! The old man halted the doors once more, nodding to the shadows as Gavin crashed into the elevator next to him. The shadows nodded and returned and faded away as the doors closed. Gavin lay on the floor of the elevator, oblivious to the exchange that had just occurred. Thanks, Don, he panted, one arm draped over his eyes. You saved me. Not exactly. The voice was deep and hollow. That you just threw away. Gavin pulled his arm from his eyes and gaped in disbelief as the old man, once frail and fragile, stood tall, his wrinkles fading, skin smoothing and darkening blistering and cracking until it looked like charred steak. The thin wisps of white hair grew thick and black before parting and forming an enormous pair of horns that curled over his head and across his shoulders. The reddish-brown eyes he found so peculiar turned scarlet and grew grotesquely, while his ever-grinning mouth widened and filled with row upon row of pointed gray teeth. Everything about the once-old man kept shifting warping and changing, each metamorphosis more horrifying than the last as he filled the elevator and continued to speak. You see, I didn't properly introduce myself earlier.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well.
1: I hope you enjoyed Clean Getaway, as written by Absinthe Rose and voiced by Pendleton Arkwright. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you, a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights exclusive original written by Arthur Irving Crane and performed by John Rogers. In it, we'll learn that there may just be more to a popular meme than meets the eye. And for one unfortunate gentleman, What he imagined was a simple internet fad, may just become a matter of life and death. Without further ado, I present to you, Not Everything is Cake.
3: I need your help. I don't know who you are, or how many of you I'm actually addressing. That's the problem with doing something like this when you don't really know your audience. I just need to know if I'm going insane, or if I've stumbled across something far worse than I thought imaginable. Chances are that by the time this gets out, and anyone hears this though, it'll be too late, and I'll have had to make a decision. One that will either prove I'm crazy, and that I need to be locked up and away from everyone, or that what I believe is true, and that I've been right all along. I pray to God, it's the former. This all started for the absolute stupidest reason. An internet meme. That's right. You heard me. After reading that sentence, you're already probably thinking I'm not worth listening to, and most times you'd be right. And it is a stupid meme. I stumbled across... Everything is cake. I hadn't even been looking for it. I just saw a picture of the Earth being cut in half and two astronauts looking at it. One incredulous in the face of their discovery that the world was made of cake, the other pointing a gun at the first and saying, yes, it has always been. I just wondered what the hell this was and what it was all about. Then I saw the videos of the photorealistic cakes and how everyone was jumping on the bandwagon talking about how everything was really cake, it's so silly and goofy and yet Despite nobody in real life talking about it, the internet is its own animal. And it was trending here, new pictures being drawn there. I thought it was amusing enough. And just for fun, I thought I would make a quick video of trying to cut my toaster oven, just to prove not everything was cake. I thought it would be fun. I thought it would be enjoyable for the five people who would end up seeing it. That's how it was supposed to go. I set up my phone on my butter dish, pointing it at my toaster oven. I started the recording, waved, set up my little spiel of how I baked up my oven and how I was going to cut it to prove to everyone that anyone could make something out of cake. Then I would try to cut it, and it wouldn't, and then hilarity would ensue. When I went to my oven, I shook the table and, just as I put the knife to the oven, it fell over. I swore, but I was already pressing the knife against it, and my weight was already prepped to force itself against the solid metal. My knife went down into the metal, as if it were nothing. And my toaster oven screamed. I backed away, knife still sticking out of the oven as it moaned, the little legs of it twisting and bending, and it crawled a small distance, shuddering, before it collapsed. I couldn't believe what I had just seen. It couldn't have been real. But after I was sure it wasn't going to move again, I approached and grabbed at the little slice I had made, peeling it back. What should have been just pure metal and heating wire was instead hiding a thick Oily green meat, like a steak that had gone bad. Peeling back further, it was solid through and through, the same exact substance. There were no organs, no veins, nothing but this greenish, foul, awful. I cut further, dissecting my oven, and found the device was entirely made of it on the inside. The only thing that suggested it was an oven in the first place was the skin of it, which felt perfectly normal in all respects, except for its surprising brittleness when I cut through it. I was horrified. I've used this oven for years, but based on what it was made of, there's no way it could have heated anything. It was a replacement, a duplicate, replacing the oven I had had for so long. I began to test other things in the room. I started with the butter dish I had leaned my phone on. It, too, screamed as I jammed the knife into the porcelain surface, revealing the alien flesh underneath. A pitcher for holding large kitchenware? Same thing. Hell, even the kitchenware came apart when I cut it, spraying black ichor as I hastily began chopping apart everything in the room. Everything was green on the inside, spraying black blood and covering not just me, but every surface on my little killing spree. I opened the pantry and stabbed a box of cornflakes. The flakes themselves, ironically, seemed fine, but the box tried to crawl out of my hands. Everything in the pantry reacted the same way. The food in the containers was normal, but every container was some living thing, even though there was nothing keeping them alive. After this, I held my knife up against the refrigerator. The knife tip scraped the metal surface, and under, I could see the green ooze forward, the meat pushing itself through, freed from its prison. I didn't know if my knife would kill it due to its size, but I didn't want to find out. Maybe this one would fight back if I knew its secret. But none of it acted in self defense. It simply reacted to what I did. It was as if they were just dumb creations, organic substitutes for my inanimate possessions. But why? I'm just some schmuck with a normal life. I go to a normal job. I don't do anything to anybody. Who would replace the things in my house with this substance? I went to my car, knife in hand, not caring who saw me covered in black, foul-smelling splatter, and got in. I started it up. Everything seemed normal. I turned on the radio, a local AM station came on. I listened to it for a minute, waiting to hear if there was any news, and if I was the only one that had noticed this, but there was nothing nothing but talk about the governor's latest proposal. I plunged the blade into the radio, right up to the hilt. The drawl of the radio personality changed to a high-pitched squeal, juices leaking out onto the power outlet that, once upon a time, had been reserved solely for cigarette lighters. I trimmed the top of my gearshift. It, too, groaned and spurted forth something unpleasant into my face. My car ran, just like it always did, but it wasn't really a car anymore. Every component was replaced, or maybe the whole vehicle was one big living, breathing organism pretending to be a car. I got out, the thought I was sitting in some thing's mouth too much to handle. I fell back on the ground, breathing heavily, having a panic attack as I tried to make sense of everything. I heard footsteps and felt hands gripping me by the shoulders. It was a neighbor I had seen many times. A young woman whose name I didn't know, but who I knew spent a lot of time gardening in her lot. She looked very concerned as she lifted me to my feet. Are you alright? Do you need me to call a doctor? I shook my head, but then realized how I must have looked, freaking out and covered in, well, I guess it could be blood. I just… I… She looked in the car, but popped her head back out. You sure everything's okay? You sure you're not hurt? Looks like you may have been bleeding pretty badly. Let me call someone, just to be safe. She pulled out a phone, and I tilted my head a little. A little blood? Sure, there was the stuff that sprayed out, but she looked in the car. Surely she noticed the giant hole in the radio. The slimy Goo leaking out of the gear shift. Hello? Emergency? Hi, I'm with a guy on my street, a neighbor. He looks hurt. She rattled off the address. Yeah, he seems okay, but I don't know for sure. Yes, we'll both be here when you get here. She hung up. We'll both be here when you get here. Is that how people end 911 calls? That sounded strange. Also, did not 911 tell you to stay on the line until help actually got there? Okay, buddy. You'll be okay. Help is on the way. You don't have any allergies or anything, do you?" She came up to put a hand on my shoulder. A friendly gesture. With what I had just seen, though, I wasn't in the mood for friendly gestures. I was confused and frightened. My whole world had turned upside down in minutes, all because I was trying to get in on the whole internet craze. I tried to push her hand away, but it wasn't until it was too late that I realized I was using the hand that held the knife. She pulled away, holding her wrist. Holy shit, you crazy son of a- But I wasn't paying attention to her reaction. Instead, my gaze was drawn to the wound I opened on her wrist. Black. She was trying to hide it, but it was black. Not normal red blood. Before she could run, I tackled and straddled her and plunged the knife into her chest. She screamed like a normal person, but only for a moment. As I sliced into her over and over again, I realized the sound that emerged came not from her throat, but from the gaping wound I was cutting. More of that alien substance. No bones, no organs, just a pulsating green mass. People were monsters, too. It wasn't just my appliances. People were being replaced, too. I watched her form flop and shudder, groaning and flailing as it realized its cover was blown, black spray flying up every few seconds as if I'd struck an artery. Yet, It didn't truly have blood. I looked around and saw other people beginning to emerge from their homes. All of them were staring at me. I looked at the young woman, then at the knife, and to what I had seen. At that moment, I began to believe that perhaps I was the instigator and not the victim. What if I had lost my mind? Surely the whole world around me hadn't been replaced. It was easier to believe that maybe I was just crazy, and I had... I had... I had just committed murder. Suddenly, neither option made me feel better. I ran into my house and quickly locked the door behind me. I watched out the window, spying my neighbors, wondering what they were thinking, waiting to see how they would react. Other than some shuffling, nobody moved. They stood on their front porches or clustered on their front yards, looking at my house, my car, and the woman lying on the ground, continued twitching every so often. Nobody called for the police, or for help, or anything of the sort. They just watched. This can't be normal either, I began thinking. But then I heard sirens. Maybe that's why no one else has tried to help. They saw that she'd already made the call and knew something was going to happen. But no one had their phones out in this day and age, either to call or to record what was going on. Call me old-fashioned, but that was weird. I thought of my own phone sitting on the kitchen counter. I wondered if it, too, had been replaced. I had no reason to believe it hadn't been if people in cars were affected. The wail of the siren grew louder and closer. A moment later, a vehicle pulled onto the street and approached. But it wasn't an ambulance or even a police car. It was a large black van with a siren on top, blinking red and green. Whose siren is red and green? The passenger door opened and a man in a gray uniform got out, then went to the back of the van to dig around in it. The driver, on the other hand, remained seated, only barely visible behind the darkened glass of the van. Who were these people? Crazy or not, these kinds of vans don't respond to real emergencies. The passenger finally came back, holding a bullhorn and some sort of weapon. It vaguely resembled a crossbow with a disk-like cartridge on the top of it. It had two handles, one with a trigger, and the other apparently for stability. He kept the weapon down and held up the bullhorn, addressing me directly. Please emerge from your home. If you surrender now, there's no need for further violence. For your safety, as well as the safety of others, please put your weapon down and come with us quietly. Like hell I was. This was no police car. I wasn't going anywhere with anybody that looked like that. My neighborhood wasn't some fancy gated community with an association or a private security force. Whoever these guys were, they were not here to help me. I waited for a few more minutes, waiting to see what they would do. The man with the bullhorn repeated his command, but I did not respond. One of my neighbors, an elderly man, came up to the bullhorn wielder. Excuse me, I used to be a police negotiator. Can I be of any help? The bullhorn man pulled away. Go back to your home. This is not your business. But maybe I can help. This is a delicate situation, and to be frank, you're not handling it very- At this, the bullhorn man turned to the old man and pointed the gun at him. Without so much as a second thought, he pulled the trigger. I expected a bullet to come from the rifle, or at the very least a scream of fire. But this was not a normal day. Instead, from what I could see, nothing came from it at all. The old man, on the other hand, was a different story. He began to convulse, shaking violently, and from top to bottom. He erupted, his body disintegrated into a pile of quivering, ragged chunks of green meat. The rest of the neighborhood looked on, but otherwise didn't respond. Not the way I did. That man had been like the woman, just a fake, a replacement person, and everyone reacted like this was something that just happened to people. Maybe the whole world going crazy wasn't such a far-fetched idea after all. The bullhorn came back up. We don't want any further issues. Now please, come out of your home with your hands up. I waited even longer. Thankfully, no one else dared approach the speaker, though I now noticed movement inside the van. The driver appeared to be moving, but what he was doing behind the tinted glass wasn't clear. Then I heard my phone in the kitchen vibration and Daft Punk's One More Time drawing my attention. I went back in, seeing the phone lightly hop across the counter, the black sludge that had sprayed on it only slightly covering the display. Unknown caller, the ID read. Of course it would be unknown. Half the calls I got were unknown, so why wouldn't this be? I answered it. Hello? It's best you come out. An oddly familiar voice warned, You don't understand the whole situation. It'll be harder to take unless you come with us now. My partner isn't as forgiving as he looks. I dropped the phone on the counter and stared at it in horror. The day had been too much to take already with everything and everybody I had seen replaced by something else. Unmarked black vans, strange security forces, and a weapon that could just disintegrate people Or fake people, anyway. That could all be explained. Somehow, it could all be explained. But my own voice coming through the phone? That didn't make any sense. I'd left myself enough reminder voicemails to recognize my own voice, even coming from the phone. I went back to the front window, looking out one more time. The driver's side door opened, and I watched as a perfect replica of me got out. They were wearing the same style of uniform as the Bullhorn Man, and held a cell phone in their hand. They waved for me to come outside. I stared down at the knife in my hand. Now I had to know. I went back to the kitchen and placed my right arm on the table. I held the knife above it, ready to bring it down. At least seven times I tried and failed to do what I had been planning to do. Telling myself I was being stupid. And then, just as I was about to give up, something snapped in my mind and with one quick movement, too fast for me to pull back from, I brought it down on my thumb. I felt a dull pain. Nothing like what you would expect. Though I hissed through my teeth, the real moan came not from me, but from my severed thumb socket. Seeing my thumb, detached, twitching and spurting black liquid, my mind broke entirely, and I hacked at my arm, watching as piece after piece came off. No bones, no blood, just alien flesh. But mine was different from the others. It was not green. It was gray. It pulsed more, and I watched as my severed hand and Parts of my elbow started dragging themselves across the table, trying to find their lost brethren. I questioned everything. My entire life, my memories. Why I had gone onto the internet that day, what year it was. Why the neighborhood was filled with people. I questioned whether any of this was real, or just a dream. I wondered if I had eaten some tainted food for breakfast, and this was all a bad trip of some kind. Either way, somebody on my lawn was likely dead, and my arm certainly wasn't attached anymore. And that's why I need your help. If I'm crazy, then I need help. I'm somehow still standing, bleeding out slowly but surely, and my name will be in the papers. And I'll be remembered as the guy in the neighborhood who went psycho and is now locked away and getting the help he needs. If I'm not crazy, then whatever I am isn't human anymore, or never was. I don't know if I'm real, or if the man standing by the van really is me, or some sort of duplicate, just another in a long line of fakes. I thought I knew everything this morning, and now I know nothing. And if I'm not crazy, then I hope you're human. And that you can do something about this. And if you're not human, you may not even know it. I'm going to go with them, but I hope somebody can talk to me first. In all likelihood, you'll never hear from me again. Because I have a decision to make. And I need to make it soon. But if I can do nothing but issue a warning, then so be it. You have been warned. Not everything is cake. Whatever it is, it's deeper than that.
1: I hope you enjoyed the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights original exclusive tale, Not Everything is Cake, as written by Irving Crane and voiced by John Rogers. Thank you for joining us for tonight's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. As a reminder, take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And please consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions.